love following those videos. <laughs> morning, everybody. Morning. I want to say a special uh, good morning to our family in Mount Laurel, worshiping uh, at that campus this uh, Oct uh, October, this August. Uh, we are videotaping the message at 9 o'clock here in Borges, and it is the message at 10.30 in Mount Laurel. So I am literally in two places at one time. Uh, so we are glad to be worshiping together in, uh, in Borges at both campuses. So we are in this series, Great Summer Reads, and uh, this morning, obviously, we're doing the book of Ruth. I have a special affinity uh, for this book, um, in part because my mom's name was Ruth. Her parents, Joe and Mary, when uh, they found out they, yeah, I know, my grandparents <laughs> were Joseph and Mary. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. So, not for me. It was my grandparents. Wow, this has become a whole thing now. Like, <laughs> so they uh, they were very faithful people, and uh, so I know that as they realized they were going to be having this first child, um, and they were looking for names, they saw something in the character of Ruth that they wanted reflected in this child if it were a girl. Back then you didn't know in advance, and uh, so when mom came uh, and they had a girl, they named her Ruth. Just a little uh, dark family secret I'll share with you on my mom's name. Her name was Ruth Nancy Keating Bills. That's what I knew her as my whole life. When my mom died, in 2007, and we were going through her belongings, we came across her birth certificate. And there on her birth certificate was her name, Ruth Agnes Keating. <laughs> and mom, somewhere in her early adult years, took a pencil, crossed out Agnes, and above it wrote Nancy. My siblings and I never miss an opportunity to, to tease my mom, and so we were having a fun time saying our, our whole life has been a lie. <laughs> it's Agnes, not Nancy. We, we weren't sure what to put on the tombstone. Anyway, that's... <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, the affinity for this book. Um, yeah, so uh, Ruth, and, and also Marilyn and I, in our wedding ceremony 35 years ago, um, had a reading from Ruth, and I'll actually be reading that this morning. So I have this special affinity for this book of Ruth. This very short four-chapter book really is a story about redemption. It is a story about redemption and how God redeems us. God is in the business of saving. God God is about salvation, and salvation is, is God's word. The way that God saves is through redemption. And this idea of God's redemption, it's a deep principle, redemption, but it is also, like so much of God, it can be understood by a child because it's that simple, and yet it is that profound that even the greatest scholars throughout history 
have not been able to fully plumb the depths of all that God is and all that God does. His redemptive work is like that. We, uh, as a family, travel every year to Maine for our vacation. In fact, we'll be leaving on Friday. Um, so for 30 years or more, Marilyn and I have been going up. Our sons grew up uh, going to Maine on vacation. And one of the things about Maine is they are very environmentally conscious and have been for a long time. And so even before it was, it was uh, widely popular, um, Maine was about the business of recycling. And so one of the ways that they, they did that was when you would go to a store and you would buy something in a glass bottle, they would charge you an extra nickel for that container. Likewise with aluminum. Every aluminum can, um, was, there was a nickel surcharge. And if you would bring them back after they were empty, they would give you that nickel back. And so part of our uh, deal throughout the time we'd be up in Maine is collecting our glass bottles and our aluminum cans and periodically over our vacation, we would go out and you'd find along the road these little shacks, basically, little barns kind of looking places where you would bring your bottles and your cans and they would count them out and then they would give you money back, uh, five cents for each one. And those centers were called redemption centers where you would go and you would turn in your empty and be given back cash. In God's economy, redemption is a life for a life, a life for a life. The nature of salvation is redemption through Christ, a life for a life. The story of Ruth is a kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus, a life for a life. So let's take a look at this story. You heard it brilliantly told just a moment ago. Um, so I won't be retelling the story in full, but just kind of giving the, the bigger sweep and meaning of this powerful, powerful story of God's redemptive work. In chapter one of the book of Ruth, we're introduced to a family. We're introduced to this family, a husband and his wife, um, Elamech and Naomi. Elamech and Naomi. And they have two sons, and their sons' names are equally strange, Mahalon and Kilian. And they go off to a foreign country, Moab. And they go there for the same reason that most people immigrate from their country of origin to a foreign country. They are going looking for economic opportunity. There is a famine in their land and so they're struggling to survive and so they immigrate to a country where they will have greater economic opportunity and there they settle in Moab, this family of four. And as they get settled in and they begin to make their life there and find economic security and, and so forth, the ability to be able to care for themselves financially and all of the things that, that come with that, the sons 
begin to make their home there in Moab, and they do what boys do. They check out the girls, and they find, each finds a woman that they fall in love with. And so there are two daughters-in-law that are added to this family, Orpah and Ruth. And so we have this beautiful scene, right? This beautiful family, a husband and a wife, their two sons and their daughters-in-law living together in Moab. Early, very early in the story, the husband dies. Emelech dies and Naomi is left a widow. She's brokenhearted, of course, but um, she's at least secure. This is a patriarchal society. This is in 21st century America. This is thousands of years ago, and it's a patriarchal society. And so a woman is viewed basically as property. She is cared for first by her father and that family, and then by her husband and that family. And if the husband dies, then assuming there are sons, the sons are then responsible to take care of their mom. And these two boys did that. And that's how they lived over the next decade. But then in the same year, both sons die. One commentator rightly pointed out that the story of Ruth, the story really of Naomi, this book could have just as easily been titled Naomi. Naomi becomes a female Job. All of her security, all of her, the things that she loved most dearly, taken from her. Her husband is gone. Her sons are gone. And it's just her and her two daughters-in-law. And there is no way for them to be able to survive. Women couldn't just go and get jobs. And so they are there with their grief, their loss, and no security. They're destitute. And so there is a picture of these three women huddled up together, and they are weeping as you can imagine, at their loss and at their fear for the future. Naomi, who loves these two young women like her very own daughters, says to them, you need to go back to your homes. This is your home country. These are your people. You need to go back to your people, back to your homes where you can be cared for. And there's more weeping and, and so forth. They're destitute. She is, Naomi is alone. And she is so broken that this woman who is a woman of faith says to these daughter-in-laws, God has abandoned me. God has abandoned me. And not only abandoned me, God has abused me. She says, God has lifted his fist against me. She feels like Job. Rejected by God, abandoned by God, alone in the world. 
And I want to kind of freeze frame this picture for a moment. What do you call this scene? Picture these three women who have no opportunity before them, whose husbands have died, the loves of their life. The two daughters-in-law were unable to bear children at that point, and so there's no offspring. And here they are, alone in the world, grieving deeply. What do you call that scene? You call it life. You call it life. That's what we all will experience. Maybe you have experienced this kind of thing. Maybe you're living it right now. But if you live long enough, you experience the bitter sides of life. People who you love and care about pass away. We've all felt it, perhaps. I know I have, you know, people that I love. I've mentioned my mom earlier. My mom died in 2007. My dad passed away. Both Marilyn's parents, we went through their decline and passing. We all experience that. And this sense of deep grieving, this sense of deep loss. These are the hard times in life. As a pastor, I have the opportunity, really the privilege of walking alongside people in these seasons of their life where they are feeling the deep loss. And sometimes in that state, folks will say to me things like, you know, I, I feel guilty about this. I hate to even admit this, but it feels to me like God has abandoned me. It makes me wonder, Pastor, even if there is a God. And I try to assure them, you don't need to apologize for feeling like that. There was a woman years ago, I remember, her husband had passed and she was in my office and she was just stoic, just stoic. And she said, you know, the truth is I haven't even cried. And I said, why, why is that? She said, because I'm afraid if I allow myself to cry, I will never be able to stop. That's life. And what I want to say to them in those moments, what I do say to them in those moments is you are in good company. You are feeling how Job must have felt. You are feeling how Naomi and Oprah and Ruth must have felt. Even David the giant slayer. Last week, we talked about David in this series and slaying Goliath and this great victory and so forth. And David, this man of tremendous faith and courage who takes on the giant in God's name, in Yahweh's name, 
does great things and ultimately becomes king. David, this man who is the man after God's own heart, felt this way. And he even wrote about it several times in a number of psalms. But let me just read one selection from one psalm where David was feeling like this. It's from Psalm 77, verses 7 through 8. The words will be on the screen. It says this, Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? This is David feeling abandoned by God, perhaps, feel, perhaps feeling rejected by God. Alone. And so here is Naomi with these daughters-in-law and trying to care for them even in her grief and telling them they need to return to their Homes. They need to go back where they came from. And Naomi is going to be alone. Even in that moment, that freeze-framed moment, where, where Naomi feels abandoned by God, and as we just like look at that scene of these, these three women in that moment, it's easy to see why she would feel that way. But because we have the advantage of knowing the whole story, we can see the end of the story. We can pull away from that scene and see that even there, even in her most broken, vulnerable state, God is in the redeeming business. He has not abandoned Naomi. And that's where the story kind of picks up. So she's trying to send her daughters-in-law away. Orpah finally agrees and she heads off home, but Ruth refuses and speaks these words that are often repeated and sometimes in weddings like mine. Here's what it says. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Imagine hearing those words when you feel like you are alone in the world. I mean, Naomi must have felt like the bottom dropped out and she is free falling 
not knowing where she's going to land, not knowing when she's going to hit. And suddenly, this hand grabs her hand and stops the free fall. That's Ruth in this moment. I will not leave you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, I am there for you. And not just for you, I will be there with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your place will be my place. And I am going to stay by your side for the rest of your life. It's a redemptive moment. Giving my life for your life. What a powerful, powerful thing. Again, just in some personal reflection on this, and one of the things I've loved about this series, I was sharing this with my my son Josh the other day, that one of the things I've loved about this series is going back to these stories that are so familiar, many of them, but yet um, I, some of them I haven't read for, for years. And to go back and to unpack these stories and reflect on them and, and use them as kind of my personal devotional time. And, and as I've been reading the story of Ruth and, and thinking about uh, my mom, she was a Ruth to so many people. One of the things that marked my mom was that when somebody was hurting, when somebody was struggling, mom just had an intuitive sense, a gift, a God-given gift to come alongside that person and to offer encouragement and to walk alongside that person and to let them know that they weren't alone, that they were cared for, that they mattered to her. It's God's redemptive kind of work. So and that's kind of the story. That's how the story goes on, that now Ruth and Naomi go through life together. They return back to Naomi's home country, back to where she was from. But they have no means of support. And so there's a scene where there are people who are harvesting a field, right? So they've got, they don't have the heavy equipment that farmers have now. So it's just people out in the field picking the, the, uh, the uh, wheat, picking the barley, pulling these things up out of the ground and gathering them in baskets and going through the field. And then following behind them are the poor, those that don't have any means of support, following behind, picking up the scraps that are left behind. This is called gleaning. And so these gleaners are following behind and Ruth joins the gleaners to gather up just enough food for herself and for Naomi to survive on. And they recognize, and, and Ruth is recognized by the owner of the field, this guy Boaz, who asks about her and and uh, then later ensures that she'll be protected because that was dangerous back then to be a single woman, a woman without a husband, a woman without a family. They were in a very vulnerable, vulnerable position. And so Boaz wanted to make sure that Ruth and Naomi were identified as protected people. 
so that they would not face abuse. Naomi's being cared for by Ruth. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it talks about the fact that two are better than one. Because if there are two, if one falls down, there's one to help that person up. If, if you're cold at night, two can get warm together. And it ends, this description of two being better than one, it ends that little, that little description by saying this, a three-cord rope is not easily broken. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about two. What's this third cord? And it's a reference, of course, to God intertwined. When God is intertwined in the life of the two, this is a cord that is not easily broken. Maybe you are a Ruth for somebody. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now who's barely holding on, who's struggling in a mighty way, and you are part of that person's strength, that you're bringing your giftedness, you're bringing your compassion, you're bringing yourself into this situation and holding this person strong and bringing into that relationship God, bringing Christ into that relationship, praying with and praying for that person, letting them know that God has not abandoned or rejected them. God is not abusing them. And even if they feel that way right now, that you're going to walk alongside them to remind them and give them that assurance that God is still in the redemptive business. You're giving your life for their life, your strength for their strength. As the story unfolds, Ruth marries Boaz. And Boaz becomes a redeemer for both Ruth and for Naomi. He takes them into his home and cares for them, gives them the economic support that they need to be able to, to live. And Ruth, who had been barren up to this point, conceives and gives birth to a son, Jesse, who becomes father to David, through whose line comes Jesus. God is in the redemptive business. In reading a, a review of a book, I haven't read the book yet, but in reading a, uh, 
an overview of a, a book called The Gospel of Ruth. The author of, uh, of this book, uh, Carolyn, Carolyn James, it's a, it's, it's a book I want to read because uh, the, uh, the section I read of it was just so good. But this is what she, she wrote of Ruth. God doesn't speak to Naomi through a prophet, a voice from heaven, a thunderbolt, or a vision. God communicates his love for her through her immigrant daughter-in-law, Ruth, whose, very, whose every action, from her vow to her gleaning to her proposal to Boaz, to the birth of the son she gives to Naomi, speaks love to Naomi's empty soul. It's a redemptive story. And God is still in the business of redemption. As the uh, band comes back up to, uh, to lead us in a song, just want to kind of close out with that idea. Jesus came to bring salvation, and he brings salvation through giving his life for your life. God loves us so much that he gave his son as redemption, his life for ours, that we might find salvation in the reality of sin. And not just your life and my life, but for all. Jesus came to save us all, his life for ours. That's the good news. That's the message of the gospel of Christ.